Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. Our host for today's episode is Joseph Boot. Well, welcome back everyone to the podcast for cultural reformation. I'm Dr. Joe Boot, and I'm your host today, and I'm joined in the Knox Cellar, as usual, by Nathan Oblak and Ryan Eras. And uh, we have a exciting show ahead of us today. I'm not usually hosting this no, thing, no, so uh, right. that know. usually indicates something else is happening. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, Every now and then we give you a try at this. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm, I'm not the best host, but I'll do my best. So we actually have a special guest with us today, uh, Dr. Ben Merkel, and we're going to introduce him in just a moment. Mm-hmm. So uh, stay tuned. And But first of all, Nathan, over to you mm-hmm. for any housekeeping items and any updates sure. that uh, our audience needs to uh, be aware of this mm-hmm. week. For sure. Well, our, uh, our two general audience conferences, they're coming up really quickly now. Uh, the Mission of God Conference here in Southern Ontario is just over a week away, and uh, the Mission of God Conference West is also happening June 18th in Edmonton, Alberta. And uh, at both conferences this year, we're dealing with the subject of utopianism, and we've got Joe, uh, Andre Schutten, Andrew Sandlin, and uh, Graham Leach all helping us think through this issue. And I mean, there's nothing new under the sun here. We know that. Um, but I'm, I'm sure our listeners uh, are quite aware of the fact that uh, utopian ideas are absolutely dominating our culture right now. So uh, we're really looking forward uh, to the opportunity to think Christianly about some of these issues at the conferences. And of course, we're responding to uh, the doctrine of utopianism with a vision of the kingdom of God. It's That's a right. sort of standoff between the two perspectives, That's right. right? Yes, utopianism versus the kingdom of God. That's right. And to find more information on uh, either of those conferences, and uh, if you'd like to buy tickets, visit our website, EzraInstitute.com. And uh, with uh, Dr. Ben Merkel joining us today on the podcast, it's a really great opportunity to mention uh, to our U.S. listeners that we're very, very close to securing an Ezra USA office in Southeast Tennessee. Yes. And that's right. Mm -hmm. And... uh, (laughs) Ryan's excited. We're pumped for this, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Some people were hoping for for Aspen in mm, Colorado. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Some people too being, far being you. Know, you I, Some California, people were cut or? out for life on the road. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stick with Tennessee for now. Yeah, that's absolutely. Good. They have sweet tea in Tennessee. Oh, uh, we can bring it if they can. If they we're don't, we're going to find out. I'm sure okay. they do. All right, I'm hoping so. Um, <laughs> poor poor Doctor Merkel has to sit there and listen to all this nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, not, they're not as funny as this down there in Moscow. So uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We'll help them gain a sense of humor. <laughs> and uh, just on on that point of the Ezra USA office, um, we're going to be launching training programs uh, in early 2023, and some of those programs, Dr. Merkel will be joining us and helping us with our training. So we're very excited about that. And on that note, Ryan, why don't you uh, introduce Dr. Merkel for us? All right. Yeah. So. It is, a, it is a pleasure and a privilege to have you here. This is, for everyone who's, uh, who's unfamiliar, this is Dr. Ben Merkel. He is president of New St. Andrews College in Moscow, Idaho. He's also a fellow of theology there. Ben holds a DPhil in Oriental Studies, as well as an MST in Jewish Studies from Oxford University in England, an MA degree in English Lit 
a Greyfriars letter, and a BS in education uh, from the University of Idaho. Dr. Merkel's a teaching elder at Christ Church Moscow, where he regularly preaches at their downtown service, and he is the author of The White Horse King and Defending the Trinity in the Reformed Palatinate. Hmm. That is... That sounds fascinating. Mm-hmm. I got to have to pick up a copy of that. Dr. Uh, Merkel lives in Moscow, Idaho, where he's married to Rebecca. They have five children. Mm. It is a yeah. real pro- uh, real pleasure to have you with us today. Mm-hmm. Thanks very much. It's definitely a, a privilege to be here. Well, we noticed that um, <clears throat> Dr. Merkel has a BS in education. There's a lot of BS in education these days, isn't there? <laughs> that's, Maybe that's part of our topic today. <laughs> yeah, that's but, right. Uh, yeah. well, <laughs> Well, Great we'll, way to jump we'll, into we'll it. Pick there. that up shortly. <laughs> so uh, that, that's a segue I haven't seen used before. But <laughs> leave that on the ground. Don't pick that up. <laughs> so Ben, thanks ever so much for joining us. We really do appreciate it. And um, as the president of New St Andrews College, there will be a lot of of our listeners who are um, well from around the world who are not familiar with New St Andrews. Can you can you just tell us a little bit first about New St Andrews College? What it is, uh, where it is, and um, what what the vision of the institute of the institution actually is. Sure. Um, so New St Andrews actually uh, the sort of the origin story of NSA. We grew out of the classical Christian education movement. So if you're familiar with classical Christian education, the K to twelve movement that actually began here in um, in Moscow, Idaho, in 1980 with the founding of Logos School, uh, and then in 1990. Doug Wilson, who was the founder of Logos, wrote um, his book, uh, Recovering the Lost Tools of Learning, uh, riffing off of Dorothy Sayers' essay, The Lost Tools of Learning. Um, And then that kind of launched this movement that became a nationwide movement and started classical schools everywhere through the ACCS, as well as then um, jumped over into the homeschooling world through things like classical conversations and other uh, other um, curriculum. So anyhow, so you have this big movement that's cranking out these kids with this education um, and then and they're all educated with nowhere to go. Uh, so New St. Andrews started in 1994 as um, basically a next a next place for students that want to further this kind of education. Um, so probably roughly 80 to 90 percent of our uh, students come from some form of a classical K to 12 education, though there's probably, you know, 15, 20 percent that, um, that that are not from that. And that still still works. But basically, we were created as a next step in that in that um, in that education. So we're a small private Christian liberal arts college in Moscow, Idaho. We do one degree in liberal arts. We don't have a professionalized collection of majors. We do a uh, a single degree in liberal arts. It's intended to be a really rigorous uh, liberal arts education that is essentially what uh, uh, you know the biblical worldview education uh, is um, uh, attempting to re- remedy the fact that we don't have this kind of ed- education anymore. Um, and the um, you know some of the distinctives we don't take any federal money. So we're one of the few schools that we work to not take any federal money so that we can stay. Uh, true to our convictions and not have the strings that are attached to that. Mm, that's great. And how many students do you have? What size is the student body at New St. Andrews, Ben? So it's a very teeny little school, so we're probably about 230 to 240 right now. Um, I would like to see us continue to grow, though um, we want to stay a small liberal arts college, but we're definitely in a significant growth mode at the moment. Um, COVID, COVID really launched us forward 
Um, you know, we've gone for the last two years without requiring masks for our students or vaccines or anything like that. And really the last two years, we've just done, we've done college like we've always done. We've just had a normal college experience here, which I don't think there's many schools that have been able to do that. Um, and that uh, people have noticed that and have wanted to uh, be a part of that, as well as also, I think we're seeing um, the significance. I, I think that for, for a long time, people had this feeling like, well, I can be a Christian, but I can also be in this kind of secular uh, institution and I can get the best of both worlds. But as those depart further and for, further, people are having to make a choice. And I think we're seeing more people say, I, I just want the rigorous Christian education and I, I care less about what that world has to offer because it's pretty empty. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it's, uh, it's actually really exciting to hear about the growth of the school. And I think for parents and grandparents out there, as well as young people who are listening to this, New St. Andrews is an absolutely fantastic option as a university to send your children. Um, we'll come on to uh, why that's so important in a moment, given the state of many of the other institutions. But mm -hmm. um, it's uh, it's very encouraging to hear about that kind of growth. And we also, you know, owe a debt of gratitude to to you and to the movement down there ourselves, because um, about eight years ago, um, I was uh, involved with a couple of other families in founding Westminster Classical Christian Academy. And we had uh, Doug and, and Nancy up here to visit our school a few years ago. And uh, the, the, the launch of Westminster uh, Classical Christian eight years ago has now precipitated uh, the beginnings of a small classical Christian school movement That's right. here mm -hmm. uh, in Canada. I think we're up to maybe six or, or seven um, uh, new classical Christian schools in the last um, nine years, eight, nine years and counting. So, um, That's right. Uh, and it was in no small part due to the influence of what you men have been doing down there that... Uh, oh, that's really wonderful to hear. We've actually got the school going our, ourselves. So um, it'd be wonderful if we could eventually see a, a liberal arts mm -hmm. university in, in, in Canada. But mm -hmm. uh, that, may be, that may be some way off. But it's, it's absolutely wonderful to, uh, to hear about that. Um, ben, you know, when we... Uh, look at your uh, resume here and your qualifications and your work in uh, in leading the the new st andrews college we're really blessed and honored to have you as a fellow of the institute as you know we're trying to advance christian worldview education um we sort of view the situation in canada and in much of the united states that that really there is a there is a crisis in higher education today um, it's why so many parents are struggling to know where to send their yeah. children after high school who are from Christian backgrounds. Mm -hmm. I think in Canada, we're somewhere around 65, 70% of children mm -hmm. have lost their faith who grew mm -hmm. up in a Christian home by the time they leave high Even, school. Joe, Ben mentioned before New St. Andrews students, you know, were being educated, you said, with nowhere to go. And I mm -hmm. think that's the sentiment of many, many, many Canadians right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so... In, in light of that, I mean, what do you see as the, is there a crisis in higher education today? Um, and, and how would you characterize that in, in the United States? Yeah, I would say absolutely. I mean, and it's, it's, it's pretty severe and advanced. And I think we're only just beginning to um, see it and understand it. Um, I would say there, there's two things that I think that are um, significant players in it. One of them is... Uh, quite clearly, the, the federal money, um, the, the fact that, um, you know, 
you're obviously your public schools are largely supported by um, state money and as well as uh, inside their tuition. That tuition is is primarily um, uh, generated by uh, Pell Grants and subsidized student, federally subsidized student loans. But when you go over to your private schools, you think, oh, well, it's a private school, so this is not federal money. But um, if you pull back the veil and look at the finances, even at your private Christian school, the single largest payer is the federal government through, again, Pell Grants and the federally subsidized student loans. And that money um, has strings attached. So your um, definition of marriage, how you handle whether guys can go use the girls' showers, all of those things start to become heavily influenced by your desire to keep that money um, uh, um, keep that money coming. And so, so I, I think that federal money has been a, a significant compromise and has, has been the source of a lot of the, um, the crumbling of our Christian education, but it's not, it's not just, um, there, there's things like the, the, the really obvious, okay, if I want to keep my, uh, student loans coming, I have to let the trans guy use the lady shower. There's, there, there are those questions, but that's really kind of out on the fringe and the edge. And I don't think we see the more subtle, constant um, changes that happen in the way we educate, the way we think about education as a result of this money. So one of the things that, um, um, one of the things that I think that has been slowly happening that is um, really, really significant is that we see uh, education now primarily about um, education is primarily vocational certification. Um, so you you have to get a piece of paper to get a job, and that's why you go to school. And why is it we think that way? A lot of that goes back to the way as the, as the government comes into funding education, they're they're you know. Um, Basically, there are pencil pushers behind all of this that have to justify and explain. So, so if I'm funding your college education, I have to say, what's the what's the the government's return on that investment? What are we getting out of that? We need to see that you've been uh, and and the government thinks in terms of the economy. So we think in terms of what have we done for our labor force by getting you that degree. So we want to be able to attach certain jobs that have been qualified you that we have created by funding these degrees. Um, and so, um, there's a, there's a joke. I think I heard my father-in-law tell this one once where, you know, there's a guy walking along at night. Uh, there's another guy, he's, he's underneath a street light at night and he's down on his hands and knees and he's looking around. And so the guy walking past says, you know, can I help you? He says, yeah, I lost my car keys. And so he gets down next to him. And they, they, about 15 minutes, they crawl around, they can't find anything. And he says, are you sure you dropped him here? And he says, no, I dropped about a hundred yards that way. And he says, well, why are you looking here? And he says, well, the light's better here. Um, <laughs> I know, it's not a great joke, but, but the, the point is, um, um, when you have to create certain kinds of results, it changes where you look. Um, and, and so the, the answers that you need to give change the kinds of questions that you ask. Um, and what happens is um, colleges and particularly the government money that's funding it, they need to come up with data to justify this. And so they've come up with a whole system to show that somehow these degrees create these jobs. Therefore, we can justify why this education is happening. But when you step back a little bit and think about it, it's just ridiculous because most of us and, and I would say there are a couple of exceptions here. So I'm not trying to. Um, 
uh, give a completely sweeping statement. But in general, most of us, when you get a college degree and then you show up to the first day of work with that college degree, what you tend to realize is this degree did not prepare me for this job. Um, you learn how to work on the job. And, and this is why you have this strong movement, I think, and it's particularly popular within the Christian world of saying, listen, the college degree is unnecessary for the kinds of careers that and, and solid paychecks that we want our sons to have. And so um, there is a real pushing back against the college degree because it's not delivering what colleges say that it, it delivers, which is this piece of paper gets you that job. Um, and I will, as a college president, just completely admit um, if you think that the college degree, you have to have that to get a job, you're, I think you're being conned. I think that it's, it's a, a foolish way of, I think it's deceitful. I just don't think the college degree is necessary for most jobs. And I think it's a con for us to, to paint it that way. Colleges like that story because um, if, you, if you have an exorbitant tuition, let's say your tuition is 35 grand a year, how do you talk an 18-year-old into paying that? Uh, particularly when they're going to do it with student loans. You know, you got a kid who um, he couldn't qualify to buy a car. He couldn't qualify to buy a lawnmower on credit. And yet we're going to give him, sign him up for a hundred grand in debt, you know, for this degree. How do you sell somebody on that kind of irresponsible move? Well, you tell them, you promise them you're going to get this job and this job has this salary. So there's a return on the investment over here. And that's why this is an economically logical move. It's, it's a con. Um, and I, I think it's a real problem. But I think more importantly, the real the real um, tragedy is it's changed fundamentally what we think education is about. Education should be about the formation of the mind. Uh, and as Christians, we're passing on our Christian worldview, our heritage through this education. But the state has come in and said, no, 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 push, push all that out. You have to have my education. Otherwise, you won't be able to get a job. And they've, they've made us believe that the world is like this humming machine and that, that the schools, what they do is they, they, you, you offer your child to the school and the humming machine, they'll, they'll, they'll turn your child into a perfect cog that can then fit into the machine and then your, your child will be okay. But if you do something bad, like get them a degree in philosophy you know, then you'll hand it to the machine and it'll, you know, it'll, it'll shoot them out of the machine and they'll be a barista for life with no hope for anything, um, which I think is a, is a total lie um, because they're pretending like they own the job market. They own really the way the world works, but that's, it's not true. Um, a, a educated, faithful Christian man can go out and make his own jobs, make his own business, make his own world. We don't need the state for, um, uh, for controlling all of that. But by doing that, they have, they have taken um, our burden of passing on what we're supposed to give, the paideia of God in education. They've slowly pushed that out of the way, replaced it with vocational certification. And I would also add, and in doing that, massively dumbed down the education, teaching somebody how to perform certain vocational skills versus teaching someone how to think critically, uh, about, teach them how to think critically takes real work. Those certain vocational skills are picked up far uh, more easily. And so we've massively dumbed down what education is in, in the process. Yeah, so, you, so you're describing there the kind of the, the, the trade now into a, in education into a sort of instrumentalism, pragmatism, 
uh, where where basically the government wants um, different functions going on in society and therefore it will loan money and promote uh, particular uh, programs in order to get the kind of results they want. And so the whole idea of the the, the gift of education is in some respects as an end in itself uh, to, to learn and develop and mature the mind and the heart and to, and to be able to serve God and his kingdom um, is, is lost. Um, some would say, Ben, that there's, there's, there's not just the, the factor of, uh, um, in a sense, the lie being sold that if you do this college degree, you will get this result and get this kind of job. But worse, parents sending their kids off thinking they're going to be prepared for a vocation like that. And actually what happens is they're simply indoctrinated mm -hmm. into a radical, anti-Christian, uh, leftist, progressive view of reality. And so you've spent $100,000 on turning, a, uh, a, in, in some cases, a Christian child into a sort of cultural Marxist for $100,000 with no real prospect of getting a, a better job than the person who didn't go to college in the first place. Is that true? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I'm describing the marketing ploy to get them into the college. Then once they're in the college, there's a massive indoctrination that goes on. I mean, there is worldview training that's going on at the at the university. It's just it's not Christian worldview. It's a it's a very unbelieving worldview. I mean, I the image that I always use to describe it is you, you mentioned some of the statistics for the apostasy rate of evangelical kids going off to college. If you were if you were. Um, to put your kids in the first boats that landed on the Normandy Beach invasion, they would have a better survival rate on on that, you know, landing the beach there than they would at your typical American university. And in Normandy, they lost their lives, their mortal lives, and our universities are using their they're losing their immortal souls. Um, but that's what's that's what's happening on on our college campuses. And Joe, something Ben's uh, hitting on here, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but really this is pointing to the inescapability of Telos, right? right? Like the government clearly has a purpose that they're using, uh, along with post-secondary, to train up children in the way they think they should go. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder if you can comment on that. It's inescapable. Mm -hmm. It's just, the, uh, and, and really post-secondary institutions, if they don't submit to this Telos, then they're, they're punished. Well, taking the, uh, as Ben described it, you know, the, the, the stewardship of children basically being, you know, handed over to the educational institution like a, like a cog in the machine to fulfill the state's purpose. And, um, you know, the, the great, and I, I'm glad Ben started where he did on this sort of marketing side because he who pays the piper calls the tune. And so that telos, that purpose, that direction is being set now by a progressive secular state. Mm -hmm. Uh, calling the tune of education, because I think that accounts for all the increased desire for control of all of these institutions as well. So different bodies being formed to control the content of curricula mm -hmm. and what's going to be required in these given institutions. And the fact that when we basically say, uh, accept this state funding, I mean, one of the things, Ben, here is that with the, the classical schools, um, they, we're not receiving any state funding at all in Ontario. Now, some of the a bit like the states, I think some of the Christian schools in other provinces, uh, I think especially out west, and some even of the homeschooling, yep. is receiving a certain amount of state money. And uh, that was uh, that was ratcheted up with COVID as well, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah. All so, kinds of s subsidies for homeschoolers going around. And, yeah, mm -hmm. 
And the danger of taking those subsidies and then becoming beholden to the state, I think, is only now becoming more and more um, uh, apparent to people. Um, to 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 given the the the, the jiggery wokery in all of these institutions and you know the, the 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 radical nature of these institutions, what do you see then as the um, the the role of the Christian university? I mean, if a if a parent is thinking, well, I've got uh, you know an eighteen year old, a nineteen year old, um, and they want to go to university, wh- why? Um, uh, why would I want to send them to a distinctly Christian institution? What is the role now for um, a distinctly Christian institution? I mean, I think that um, there seems to be, at a, at the, you know, you've described it, we've described it as a moment of crisis in higher education. And usually a moment of crisis is also a moment of opportunity, especially for the Christian church. How would you describe that opportunity? What's the role of the Christian university? Why should the parent listening to this send their child to a distinctly Christian institution like New St. Andrews. Well, I think you're, you're exactly right that a crisis is an opportunity. I mean, that's why when COVID hit, we really leaned into the moment with our marketing and whatnot and saw significant growth because it, um, when you get a crisis like that, that's a gift and you need to lean into it. You need to welcome it. It can be hard, but it's a good thing. Uh, it gives you a chance to actually uh, enact real change. And we're this crisis is expanding and I think it's, a, it's an in, increasing opportunity. One thing I would say, and this is just a really important qualification, um, I really do not believe that a college education is um, necessary for everybody. I, I really, um, I think that we have um, colleges have overplayed their hand in pr- trying to pretend like everybody needs to get a college education. This is your door to the workforce. I just don't think that's the case. I think there are a lot of there are a lot of people who at eighteen should go straight in straight to work, um, apprentice, and go through an apprenticeship and and um, enter the workforce right away. Um, I don't think they need a college degree in order to move forward, but I do think that um, a a strong Christian liberal arts education is something that at least a third, maybe even up to half of our our high school graduates should be looking at and and should and and I think would serve them well. And basically, what what we are doing is um, a, a couple of different things. Um, one, passing on and and inculcating in them the habits and skills of leadership. We're teaching uh, critical thinking, the ability to communicate persuasively, a clear understanding of a Christian worldview and and what obedience looks like, and then the skills to persuade and lead others in that direction. And that has... um, it has implications in the job market, or I should say application in the job market, uh, marketing, media, law, uh, sales, um, education, teachers, uh, um, law, um, you know, politicians. It goes on and on. I, I'd say at least half of the jobs that are out there are well served by that kind of degree. Um, but, but then the other thing it does is it allows us to pass on as a Christian culture our intellectual heritage. So one of the things that I think that um, we're seeing America and you're experiencing this in in Canada as well, um, where you have this massive social lurch into a bizarre direction, um, attempting things that, you know, 30 years ago, we never would have attempted like this idea that you can defund the police and have that 
that work out well for you. Um, uh, America attempting to, you know, thinking that socialism is going to work uh, for it. Um, these are these are things that um, you need an education to understand that this won't happen or that th- this won't work. You need an education to pass on our cultural heritage to know what it looks like to have a government that is going to keep America thriving. Um, and so it's interesting because you'll have people who will uh, there's you know, there's disdain for the idea of studying philosophy at the college level because you know what what job can you get uh, if you haven't studied philosophy or if you've got a degree in philosophy? Well, here's the thing: um, if you if you've not learned how to think critically, it's not that you it, um, you lose the entire job market. Like like you lose jobs. You look you lose the concept of jobs when you don't have a. a a, a significant chunk of your population that has learned how to think critically and 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 what law ought to look like, what human nature is, whether defunding the police is a is a viable solution. Yeah, uh, and uh, not to mention, you know, expecting a a, a population that doesn't have um, a competence in critical thinking to ha- enable them to discern what's going on uh, in the economy. Uh, socially within the culture, and then to vote uh, adequately and to understand how to 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 you know engage civically with the issues and and to even begin to understand what's going on around them. I mean, you know, this take for example this whole area of economics is just incredible. Mm-hmm. The number of people you speak to have absolutely no clue whatsoever about the most basic rudimentary elements of what's yeah. going on in economic I mean, life. It is really shocking because you have an older generation looking at this younger generation going, how is it that you can be so poorly thought out? And then they don't go back and look at the education that they gave them um, because that that's how you get to this this moment. I would say, I mean, I, I think that education in, in America, we have this um, – uh, our, our sort of uh, boogeyman is the deep state. This this unelected um, ruling class that you can't reach, you can't vote out, and yet they're the ones pulling all the strings. Well, I think the ultimate deep state is our education system. That that's where it is, um, because that is the that is the unelected class that is dictating where America goes, and it's um, it's not um, our. Um, it's not our voting that's a problem. It's our laziness that is a problem, that we wouldn't build the schools. We wouldn't pay for our own kids' tuition uh, to build the education that our kids actually need. Yeah. Mm. So, Ben, I mean, it's actually, I don't know about you guys, but it's so incredibly refreshing to hear a president of a yes. college tell mm. you yeah. and tell people that a college education is not necessary uh, to get a really good job. It's yeah. it's it's uh, it's not for everybody. Yeah, half your kids don't necessarily need to need go. to go there. Ben uh, must not be part of the marketing department <laughs> at New St. Andrews, <laughs> right? But no, it's so, it's so it's so encouraging to hear that because if you look, for example, where I grew up at the, in the UK, when I was in school, you could leave school at sixteen and go into an apprenticeship, go into uh, the job market. There was a recognition that the a, a college education wasn't suitable for everyone mm-hmm. wasn't necessary for everyone not everybody was cut out for it mm-hmm. and um, yeah. what they started doing was the 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 technical colleges we called them in England at the time polytechnics many of the mm-hmm. the, the technical colleges that the young people would have gone to were turned into universities they were renamed as universities and and then uh, suddenly being in school 
till 18 became mandatory. So you could no longer leave at 16. And now the goal is to get to trip. Governments want the vast majority. They're wanting the vast majority of young people going to university. And it seems like a, an absolutely ridiculous uh, a strategy on the face of it. I mean, for a start off, you know, we hear from professors on a regular basis that their freshers coming in in year one uh, can't write. They can't. They can't spell. They can't yeah. uh, construct coherent paragraphs, and they're being sent to do degrees. And it seems that the goal actually is it is driven by this sort of indoctrination idea right. that well, we don't care what their capacities are. We want them in education as long as possible being indoctrinated into this view of things mm -hmm. so that they can come out as these good, obedient uh, yeah. uh, numbers yeah. mm -hmm. uh, for... for further and further into debt. More yeah, and more dependent. More dependent yeah. well, it, and, uh, and suitable for fulfilling the state's purpose. And Ben, ben yeah. was just remarking on the, uh, the deep state of the education system. Mm -hmm. All of these incapable, unequipped, incoming students, you know, from if I'm a state university... You know, hey, here's an opportunity to write, to create a whole new department of remedial writing right. uh, education. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, like 15 new bureaucratic jobs. Well, and, and that says, I think, two things. First of all, if you look back mm -hmm. far enough, you can see that the average farmer was better educated than many of the kids right. coming out of high school today right. um, in the way that they could write and and uh, and, and spell and, and communicate. Um, so our, our high schools, our schools are clearly not doing the job. Mm. And then the notion that the goal of government should be to put as many of these children uh, through a so-called uh, higher education, which is increasingly a higher indoctrination mm -hmm. process, mm -hmm. uh, and leave them in masses of debt afterwards, obviously bears incredible scrutiny. And I think that point about education almost being the, the you know, government education almost being the essence of the deep state, mm -hmm. as uh, that's the that's this formative environment, um, is I think a, 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 an absolutely critical one. And I think there's probably a particular example of, of, of how we can think about that with a, with a mm -hmm. cultural issue right now. Oh, sure. Yeah. Joe, you spoke about the, you know, the inability to think critically about economic issues, but what about social issues, right? We look at that leaked Roe v. Wade uh, document and it's just brought out all the awful rhetoric uh, in support of Roe v. Wade and, you know, things we've, we've been hearing for a long time, but, you know, uh, getting rid of Roe v. Wade won't stop abortions. Uh, women will still get them, but uh, now it won't be safe. You know, this this kind of argumentation is everywhere. And, uh, I mean, even a question for Ben. Ben, what, what, what do you see um, in terms of, like, how do we respond to this? How do we turn this around, this inability to think Christ, uh, Christianly, critically about social issues? Well, I think that... I think that I mean the first thing is t taking this whole thing very seriously, and I think uh, another another piece where we're, um, I think the church is largely naive is um, I see a lot of parents who, who um, they're going to agree with a bunch of this, and they're going to say yes, my kids need a biblical worldview, a biblical education, and that's that's a you know as a father that's my duty to make sure they have that, and that's what K to twelve is. And then once they finish K to 12, now what they need is they need a job. And that's why they have to go to a secular university to get this degree in order to get a job. And, um, and, and so, um, when I, when I have that conversation, I think the question I, I tend to ask, because it seems to me that the assumption is that 
basically when they hit that age that the pavement, you know, the cement is dry, that all the, the worldview foundation has been accomplished. And now they can just go get this neutral vocational certification. Um, and the thing is, it's not working. And one of the reasons it's not working is if I, I ask anybody, okay, the years in your life from 18 to say 22 or 23, were those the inconsequential years? You know, were those the years where nothing significant happened? You know, the pavement was dry, your your mind was made up, nothing changed, no development, no transition. I mean, it's, it's kind of laughable because for all of us, that's when uh, either you came to faith or you came to a much more powerful understanding of the meaning of your faith. It's when you came to understand what you wanted in a family, what, what, you know, you probably good chance you met your wife. Um, that's when you um, understood what your relationship to church would be like. That's when you picked your vocation. Like that's when everything happened and we're handing them over to the secular institution for that critical moment. And I think that's why we're seeing so much carnage because we think that the education is done at 12 and we're missing the significance of building a Christian higher ed system. And so the answer I think is we need to have a lot more um, strong Christian colleges that are actually giving the finish to the education that we want our kids to have. And then once you, once you have that so that the culture is dominated by that, then there's room, I think, for half these kids to not go to, not go to that kind of college because they're living in a certain kind of culture that's going to continue to pull them in the right way. But but until you replace that system, I, I think we're going to continue to see the kind of trajectory that we're currently seeing. So, I mean, Ben, we often say here that if you want to know, if you want to understand a culture, um, let's say you're, a, I know you're an Orientalist, but um, uh, if you want to uh, sort of grasp the direction of a culture, the religious character of a culture, two of the critical things you would look at our law, the laws of the country, and education. I mean, if you go to uh, you know Saudi Arabia today or Pakistan, where uh, my family was for for many years, um, and you, you you enter into an Islamic culture, you see obviously in the the law Sharia, um, the religious character and nature of the culture, and you see in the madrasas and in the education. Uh, the Islamic worldview, the Islamic ideas being inculcated. So it seems uh, that certainly law and education are two of the most critical vehicles that are teaching values, shaping minds and hearts. And it's the way that we would initially, you know, in terms of engagement with looking at a culture that was perhaps foreign to us, begin to understand what its primary commitments were. What are its values? Um, there, uh, um, uh, you know, there, 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 there's been a in some respects, a sort of ideological subversion of education in the United States. You'll be very familiar with the um, uh, people like Herbert Marcuse and other members of the Frankfurt School who came to uh, uh, America in the 1930s and, and and eventually through the institutions, through you know um, Adorno's um, uh, long march through the institutions, uh, gave us the sexual revolution in the 1960s. Um, and many of those sort of beatniks, the kind of hippies, became professors in those institutions. And education has continued to shape the life of America. I mean, be interested in your comments on that with sort of a, 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 a summation or a culmination of your remarks on, in light of all of that, the, the way in which education is so critical in shaping values. To what extent 
do you think is the future of the West, what we used to call Christendom, dependent on the reemergence of a robust Christian education? Yeah. So, I mean, that description of particularly your comments about the sexual revolution and its impact on campus. I mean, I think that one of the things that I notice, um, a, a lot of the indoctrination that comes on to the secular campuses is is the is secondary. The, the first thing is there is a there is a culture of promiscuity that is first created that requires either massive amounts of alcohol or marijuana in order to to start it. And then a, uh, and then um, sexual lasciviousness, just um, sexual license everywhere. And then once as an 18 year old boy, you step in and you've lived in that for six months, your conscience is so weighed down by all the things that you've imbibed. And that's when a philosophy class that, that tells you this guilt is imagined and then, and, and then indoctrinates you that the worldview happens after the, the, the sin and it helps to explain and excuse and get you at peace with living in this new kind of way. So the campus, um, the campus setup is necessary in order to get you compromised. And then that's when that worldview can actually have uh, an impact on you. Uh, I think it's one of the reasons why we don't have a dorm here because it, it's a, it, 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 um, it's a breeding ground of, of immaturity and uh, lic- licentiousness that we don't want to inculcate. We want to grow them up into maturity in a Christian community. As far as um, how, you know, how critical is the education for for uh, the recovery of Christendom? I think it's absolutely necessary. I, I don't I don't think we get there um, without it. But that said, I think that the explosion of the K to 12 classical Christian education movement has been the single most encouraging um, um, development that I think the church could could can see to point out that, um, you know, that God's kingdom continues to advance and that there's hope for us still, that we're actually, we are, are building a robust alternative to this secular education. And it's really, truly taking ground and seeing COVID hit and how many, how many people left public schools as a result of that is just more testimony to the fact that I think that God is really using this. But I think that until we continue it and bring it up all the way through the second, or excuse me, through higher ed, um, we're not, we're not finishing it until we, until we do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're certainly seeing here that, uh, just like you, you mentioned the COVID sort of crisis a couple of times, Ben. Mm-hmm. And um, not only have our churches that have been faithful through that period grown massively. You talked about the fact that New St. Andrews went on without vax mandates, without mask mandates, continued faithfully. Churches that have done that here in Canada mm-hmm. and have been uh, faithful to the Lord have grown yeah. rapidly. Mm-hmm. The 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 um the the influence, the resources, the expansion of our own ministry at the Ezra Institute has been nothing short mm-hmm. of shocking mm-hmm. in the last two years. We we really didn't think we could. <laughs> we, we thought it would have taken years mm-hmm. to get to where we've yeah. gotten to in just a couple of years mm-hmm. through right. remaining faithful yeah. in a period of crisis like this. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to see. And, it, and, it, and I think a lot of people see all this tumult and they think, OK, uh, end times rapture. And it's like, no, don't you get it? Like this is this is the beginning of the real work. Like we're actually starting to make an advance now, which is fantastic. Yeah. And we're seeing Christian schools growing as a result for the same reasons that mm-hmm. you've talked about there with 
New St. Andrews, we're seeing uh, some of the local Christian schools here oversubscribed. Well, the ones that are engaging cultural issues faithfully, faithfully, yeah, mm-hmm. it's and yeah. and uh, and, yeah. and and the, and, the, and the growth of the classical Christian school movement here is very exciting. Well, Ben, we know how busy you are, and we're so grateful that you've uh, you've joined us today. Uh, we um, we're thrilled that you're our fellow for a higher education now for the Ezra Institute. We're looking forward mm-hmm. to hearing you address. Uh, students at forthcoming programs that we're going to be running in the United States. And uh, so thank you very much for joining us, gents. Um, I'm just going to uh, remind um, everyone that uh, uh, we've got these Mission of God conferences right. coming up, East yeah. and West. So don't forget, yeah, look into those. There. Sign up now. Sign up now. These mm-hmm. uh, sort of, the, especially this last two weeks now before the uh, the conference here in the East uh, starts to fill up very rapidly. Mm-hmm. So get signed up mm-hmm. uh, for Mission of God East and get signed up for Mission of God West in Edmonton in June. Uh, I think we still have just a couple of spots left now at the Runner Academy. Yeah. I think two more filled up recently. So um, And uh, some uh, bursaries remain available for that. Okay. So, but we uh, are nearly packed out. But uh, mm. you, yeah, this is, uh, this is last chance saloon, really, mm. this, uh, this mm. week to get signed up for the Runner Academy. And stay tuned for um, some exciting news coming up as we give more mm-hmm. detail and information about our new office in the United States and right. in the United Kingdom and the mm-hmm. growth of the ministry in the weeks that lie ahead. Mm-hmm. So thank oh, you again, Ben. Ryan, did you have something to say there? I was just going to say to Ben before, oh, while we still got him, uh, if anyone's interested in learning more about yes. New St. Andrews, mm-hmm. uh, where would you send them? Uh, NSA.edu. We still got a few spots left for this incoming freshman class, but act fast. Anything else you want to direct uh, direct people to, Ben, in terms of your uh, uh, social media or, or anything else? No, I think the other thing I would point out, we have, um, I don't, I don't know, we do still have a few spots left also for our summer um, worldview camp for high school students called is the name of our uh, our worldview camp if anybody would like to join us here in moscow for that this summer fantastic that's great well uh if that's all signing off this has been the podcast for cultural reformation reminding you that from him and through him and to him are all things we'll look forward to joining you next week mm-hmm.